Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Defense Deconstructed on the CGAI Podcast Network. I'm your host and president of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, Dave Perry. On today's show, which we're recording May 19th, 2022, you'll hear a conversation between our fellow retired Vice Admiral Darren Hocko and the Chief of Combat Systems Integration, Rear Admiral Jeff Swick, about the Canadian Forces force development efforts to support the modernization of continental defense. This conversation is an excerpt from our recent conference on modernizing continental defense, which was made possible thanks to the support of the Department of National Defense's Mines Program, our strategic sponsors, Lockheed Martin Canada, General Dynamics, Irving Shipbuilding and Davy Shipyard, conference title sponsor L3 Harris and its bronze sponsor Raytheon Technologies. It's really great to be part of the discussion um, uh, and, and you know by way of orientation I think it's helpful just when I was previously CFD as Davis mentioned uh, we were tasked in February 2016 to deliver to cabinet for decision in December of 2016 a fully costed widely consulted defense policy which is a very aggressive undertaking, I think, as most people would, mention, would understand. And, and the time frame of that exercise was such that you were only able to do a certain amount of can-US discussion. You were able to look at a wide range of things, but you were not able to, realistically speaking, come to a binational consensus on the needs of NORAD modernization, as we refer to it in that time. We more commonly refer to it as continental defense uh, today. Um, that said, we did kick off significant activity and assessment of alternatives exercise with the United States. We leveraged significant uh, R&D activity in national defense with DRDC through the All Domain Situational Awareness Program. And those set the conditions to help us understand where we needed to go and where we could go. Um, then what I would say is, unfortunately, uh, Jeff inherited uh, my bag of hammers from CFD's point of view and, and took over the implementation elements uh, and oversight of the defense policy. And, and it's, uh, I think, with that orientation, how quick we needed to do it, the fact that we were uh, able to consult in a general terms with the United States, but then we started a program of work with them related to NORAD's modernization and the defense of the continent. Uh, perhaps, Jeff, I'd just turn the, the floor to you and if you could give us some overview comments of where we are today in that exercise. Yeah, so thanks very much, Darren, and uh, good morning. I'd like to start by uh, noting that we're gathered here today on the traditional territory of the Algonquin and Anishinaabe people, and it'll allow us to reflect as we look at how we're going to defend uh, the, the broad traditions and culture of this continent as we go forward. Uh, I'd like to thank Dave and CTJI for giving me the opportunity to speak here today. It's a pleasure to be here. And it is really a pleasure to be able to speak to an informed audience and to be followed by a great collection of, of panelists and moderators as we go forward. Um, you know, after us, we'll be talking about the Arctic and the North Atlantic. Uh, any sailor can tell you that those are challenging operational theaters to operate in, and they're very pertinent to what we're going to be discussing here today. Uh, you're going to hear from other panelists about the threat, how to detect it, how to respond to it and look at how we're going to be able to adjust this all in the theme of looking at how we are defending the continent as we go forward. You also have the opportunity to listen to the NSA for a fireside chat uh, over lunch, and this is always an interesting and informative uh, as she is. Uh, to follow on with uh, Darren's comments, I'm going to focus on the force development aspects uh, of where we're looking to support NORAD modernization with, the, with an emphasis on digitization. And the reason I'm doing that is because you're about to hear all the great panelists that follow talking about threat, command and control, but I'm going to talk about how 
our digital modernization will be key to enabling us to do those aspects as we go forward. Um, you know, I'm sure everybody here is aware, you know, in August uh, 2021, there was a joint statement issued by the two governments on the word modernization, and they established four priorities. Strengthening situational awareness, uh, which is critical. You need to be able to understand the environment and the threat that's coming to you. Modernizing command and control. Obviously, you need to be able to then provide direction to deal and counter those threats. Enhancing defense's capabilities. That's the act part. What do you be able to do once you've seen the threat and you know what's coming and what you want to do? And then the final one was advancing research. And, and Darren's already talked, uh, touched on that a little bit about the ADSA program, which is great work uh, that's currently being done by DRDC. Uh, looking at the challenging areas of emerging technology and how we would respond to this with those new threats. Uh, I said I'm not going to talk much about the threat, but it is an element that's critical here. So, you know, overall the pace of technology change is tremendous, uh, and we need to be able to react and adapt to that. Um, Force development in Canada is capability best based and threat informed. So obviously we need to know what our allies are doing, what the threat is, see how we coordinate with our partner to the south, and then be able to address that. Um, you can look at operations in the Ukraine and they'll be very clear that a digitally enabled force using Monus equipment can achieve great effect as it goes forward. And as well, you're seeing the operational use of hypersonics. Uh, this is new. This is critically important to how we would then plan as we look forward to how we're going to defend the continent. And it's not just looking forward to that piece of technology, uh, but the technologies that are following on to come. So this is where advances in technology have fundamentally heightened the difficulty of the threat that is faced to North America. Therefore, we need to leverage that same emerging technology to be able to support and augment the systems that we will use to defend it. Uh, you know, we need a digitally transformed system, and I love the fact that it talks about pan-domain awareness uh, as you look at how we've covered this, because this really is where we have to move into the future. The, the three traditional domains of air, land, sea are important, will remain important, but the importance of space, cyber, and information are critically important as we go forward. And it's actually the fusing of all of those information points and nodes that are going to be critical uh, to how we set up and do uh, continental defense going forward. And that's a huge focus of the force development efforts that we're going for now. Working paired with uh, DRDC, working with ADSA, working with our allies, it, it's how do you leverage the emerging technologies uh, today and into the future to be able to counter that rapidly increasing threat. So, you know, key technologies that we look at, obviously, machine learning, artificial intelligence, cloud computing, data-centric security. All of those are critical to being able to take and fuse that information rapidly enough uh, to be able to address it. And we have to, again, inform by where our allies are going, which is critically important. We have to remain relevant. A relevant and reliable partner is key. And also looking at our adversaries and being able to respond to them. So, so what I've hoped to do is sort of seed the ground uh, to give a couple of uh, points or threads for, for people to uh, ask questions or mm -hmm. respond to the moderator. So thank you very much. So what, what I thought I'll do is I'm going to kick it off with a, a couple of questions. And then in just a few minutes, I'm going to offer the opportunity for folks to pose. We'll kind of take two questions at a time and hope to work through a couple of sets of those. My ask is just that you, in your introduction of yourself, 
very brief and, and point to the point question to allow us to get you know, a couple of sets of questions in uh, to, the, to the extent that's practicable. Uh, Jeff, you, you mentioned, uh, just a quick snapper for you, uh, you mentioned uh, pan-domain. You hear multi-domain, pan-domain. Is there a functional difference between those, or is that really just nomenclature? That is nomenclature. What we call pan-domain, uh, the, the British call multi-domain operations, multi-domain integration. Uh, it, it is nomenclature. It means the same thing. It is fundamentally looking at all of the six domains that I listed and making sure that that is all fused into your situational awareness and how you respond. You know, the responses do not have to be kinetic to events as you go forward. So you talked uh, in, in some direction around the digital agenda and, and how that will be enabling of continental defense, but could you dive a little deeper about what is the interrelationship between that digital agenda and continental defense in a, in a bit more of a practical sense? What's that intersection going to look like and where is defense going? So the, the intersection, I would say, are, is twofold. First, I, I talked to, you know, you mentioned and I've talked about the ADSA program, which is you know, being able to respond to the speed and the pace of the threat. So a hypersonic missile, Mach 5 plus, means it's moving at 50 miles a minute, uh, which means that your whole decision cycles of how you respond to that are shortened, which means you can no longer use the old industrial age processes to achieve that. You have to go digital, you have to be able to reduce the response time and increase your decision time uh, to be able to do that. So with a reduced response time, you need to be able to decide quicker and faster. You also need to be able to fuse multiple sources of information to give you a clear picture so that you can provide that to decision makers earlier. So that's really the core of the, the digital side as we look at this. And I can only assume that uh, what we've seen in the NORAD Pathfinder selection process resulting in a system that leverages these kind of advanced algorithms to understand how the dots are behaving, dots are behaving erratically or differently from what dots should be behaving in terms of the, the uh, air traffic uh, management structure, allowing operators to very quickly identify what to look at. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about uh, from, or is there another layer to that that I'm that I'm, that I'm not covering. So there's another layer, but th that layer is very important, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, Pathfinder allows you to leverage legacy systems with advanced algorithms and technology to really increase their operational value today. Uh, you know, and it's done that by, again, being able to fuse multiple sensors into a single track to be able to have that information. That has to be digital, that has to be supported by algorithms and machine learning to do the complex calculations to enable that to happen. So, so that's key element as we go forward to do this. I mean, the other layer is, you know, and then you get down into how you command and control forces, then you get down into how you can get reaction times to be able to do that. How do you be able to support uh, the broader networks? You know, again, if you look at Ukraine, um, being able to digitize your supply system is critically important. You know, mm -hmm. Ukraine has once again reinforced that logistics is critical to winning campaigns. So you can't just look at the front end sensor to shooter part, you have to look at digitizing your entire um, enterprise uh, to be able to support the operations that you need to do. So my, my final question, and then I'll be looking to the audience for, for uh, individuals who'd like to identify themselves to pose questions. The, you know, if I take the minister's remarks in context, I can imagine that, that there are decisions uh, coming to government in the relatively near term in relation to continental defense and what that could mean. So, so I know that there are things you can't talk about. That said, um, if I was to imagine the defense policy 
renewal or review or update, whichever term we would like to use, term of art. When you're thinking about continental defense, what are the what are the bundles and areas of focus from your judgment point of view that need particular emphasis? Is it infrastructure? We've, we've talked about the digital element to it, but if you could just expand on some of the areas that, that are outside of that, that important enabling digital agenda area, but are also essential for continental defense. Right, so there, you know, so if you go back to sort of the foundation that we use as we look at how we develop these policies is anticipate, act, and adapt. You know, and, and the critical part, we've already talked a lot about the anticipate part. You know, the pan-domain situational awareness, being able to fuse the information, be able to enable decision makers to understand the operating environment that they're in and what are the threats coming towards them. The act part uh, is clear as well, right? So that's where you get to the command and control and then being able to use uh, assets, whether they're both kinetic or non-kinetic, uh, to be able to respond to those threats, to be able to either deter or defeat them as they come in. And then the adapt, right? So adapt is, is being able to keep pace with technology and change. To, to, to support the act part, as we talked about, it's not, again, just about equipment. It's about the infrastructure. It's about the enterprise. Uh, you know, if you look at the, f the forward operating locations, obviously, as you move better enabled technology forward, you have to update those. So as you look to support fifth generation fighters in the north, you have to make sure that the infrastructure and the IM backbone is sufficient to be able to support those operations as you push them forward. It will be interesting, uh, and, and I'll just ask if those, if there are individuals in the audience who'd like to pose questions uh, that you uh, that you uh, prepare yourself, because we'll give you an opportunity in just a second. But the uh, you know in in recent discussions around this theme, I've heard senior officials use words like evergreen procurement and the like, where there's an understanding of, and, and I'm going back to the word adapt, where the procurement of systems, one, immediately leads to the understanding that they need to be refreshed and procurement timelines are such that that activity needs to start immediately, or that the asset, like uh, a ship program, you know that you're gonna have a midlife upgrade to that, so you start immediately the midlife upgrade, or you have an understanding that there's gonna to need to be iterative technology refresh to that platform throughout its life in a way that has contractual groundwork laid to do it. So these are all, I think, uh, interesting areas to explore from a modernizing procurement point of view consistent with the ADAPT um, principle. So, uh, so I'd like at this point to turn to the audience and just see who has a particular question or an area they would like to explore first. So I'll, I'll uh, break the ice and kick things off uh, with something easy. Um, as you're thinking about whatever the government announces, I guess, could you offer some perspective on, on time horizons? Um, lots of different comments about how quickly these things could be announced, but given that you already are working through a, a significant program that Darren left behind for you, um, there's the conversation about continental defense and then additional discussions going on about the uh, defense policy review. Just offer some perspective about kind of the time horizons. How quickly um, do you think that you can get to some of these pieces and some sort of sense about the potential for sequencing? Thanks. I'll, so give, I'll, you, I'll give you a fairly good grade on succinct question, but you didn't identify yourself. So. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. So, so there's a couple things to that. So th there's already work that's been in train, and this is where I want to build upon what, what Darren talked about earlier. So you know, one of the key unfinished business of SSE was, as we said, initiative number 111, NORAD modernization, which is one of the key follow-ons of that was ADSA. 
uh, you know, being able to do those investments to be able to go forward. Uh, you know, budget 2021 put 225 or 252 million dollars into being able to support R&D to support this, primarily targeted on ADSA. You know, budget 22, as you know, just announced 6.1 billion dollars targeted uh, to be able to support development, continued development of uh, initiatives like continental defense. Uh, you know, you said in your opening remarks about how the minister talked about bringing in a, a robust and open package uh, to government soon. Um, so that's essentially my answer, a robust and open package to government soon. Uh, you know, and when those governments make those decisions, we'll follow on with those announcements. Uh, you know, I would anticipate, given where we're at in the world, soon is probably soon. Uh, but what soon means, I, I can't tell you. <laughs> I think the one, the one thing I would just add, not because I have any specific uh, inside baseball, but it would just be that in the first instance of the defense policy in 2016, an understandable constraint for a new government at that point in time was to have a very closed door, even though there were a lot of people involved in the development, a lot of, uh, a lot of effective costing talent brought to it. We've seen significant learnings from that, and this particular process is being managed, is able to be managed in a much more uh, connected and collaborative way amongst senior officials uh, in government and defense. So that will lead to a more rapid coalescing around the option space and what's going to happen from the review point of view in particular. So I'd offer that. This episode of Defense Deconstructed is brought to you by the men and women of the Halifax Shipyard. For 112 years, the Royal Canadian Navy has worked closely with allied nations around the globe. During the Battle of the Atlantic, Canada's Navy stood shoulder to shoulder with our allies. Many of the ships that Canada put to sea in World War II were built in Canada. That tradition lives on today in Halifax. Today, the Halifax Shipyard is one of the largest and most modern indoor shipbuilding facilities in North America. In Halifax, Canada's National Shipbuilder is building state-of-the-art ships for Canada's Navy and Coast Guard fleets and is increasing Canada's GDP by billions of dollars. Over 3,000 shipbuilders will build the new Canadian Surface Combatant for Canada at the Halifax Shipyard. The new CSC will be Canada's most advanced ship ever built and is the superior choice to protect and support Canadian sailors. The Royal Canadian Navy has always stood up for Canada's interests and stood with our allies to secure them. The CSC ensures our Navy has the tools it needs to take that legacy into the future. Defense Deconstructed is brought to you by Davy Shipyard. Founded in 1825, Davy is a premier builder of advanced specialized icebreakers and many other ships for the Government of Canada and the private sector. As Canada's longest established, largest and highest capacity shipbuilder, Davy has delivered many of the most pioneering vessels ever built in Canada. Davy generates thousands of good jobs and billions of dollars for Canada's economy. Through its work, Davy is helping to build a sustainable marine industry, combat climate change, defend sovereignty, support trade, generate exports, and unleash the potential of the communities it serves. We hear the terms uh, North, uh, NORAD um modernization and continental defense. And I think it's, there's a kind of a blurred line in between them. Um, continental defense is clearly a little bit more than the NORAD modernization. And um, I wonder whether uh, we are talking about today and in government about continental defense writ large, as opposed to just focusing on NORAD modernization. And if so, uh, what are we doing outside of NORAD modernization to uh, contribute to continental defense. Thank you. Yeah, so the, they are used interchangeably and you are correct in that they are different uh, in how we look for it. And so NORAD modernization very much is looking at 
modernizing NORAD's mand mandate, right? So which is, you know, being able to respond to air threats and being able to conduct maritime warning. When we're talking about continental defense, you add upon that framework, uh, be able to do consequence management and, and respond to challenges within Canada. You add upon that some uh, threats that would be in the cyber realm uh, that you look at a broader as opposed to just defending against those specific niche uh, of the NORAD mandate. So when you're talking about continental defense, it's being able to respond to all pan-domain threats uh, to the national interests of Canada. Uh, think consequence management, think the addition of domestic operations in support of fires, floods, search and rescue in the Arctic, et cetera. And, and you know what I would offer, because I think it's a very good question to always keep in mind, even though there are many who would say, you know, it's a, there's obvious differences, it's obvious, it's obvious, it's obvious. But what I think is particularly important is when we think of something like the Russian Federation reversal of its 2016 UNCLOS territorial claims of uh, the seabed underneath the Arctic in 2021, where they claimed essentially right up to the United States, Canada, and Greenland's, uh, Denmark's, um, economic exclusion zone, essentially claiming the entire Arctic Basin area, including the entirety of the Lorazimov Ridge. These types of expansion of claims are clear indicators that either the Russian Federation is not going to allow anyone else to exploit it or they're intending to exploit it for themselves. Those national interest issues are an element of consider, they ought to be an element of consideration in the context of continental defense. That's not really a NORAD specific issue but it could well be a point of tension between those us, we three allies who happen to be NATO members, but it's a bi, bi, na, bilateral issue between those nations and Russia, except where it could become uh, a collective issue of concern. Uh, next question. I'll put one up. Um, you mentioned, uh, Buck, briefly about things we are observing in the Ukraine. And that particular conflict uh, uh, in terms of use of, we of use of types of weapons, in terms of Russian doctrine, uh, what is that telling us in regards to the future, not the fight that's happening today, but that future conflict we might need to be concerned with, and what is also telling us more broadly in relation to development efforts of China and other countries? Right, so that it is, again, very much showing us that the way of war is being adapted. Uh, and if you look at not only what's been happening in Ukraine, if you go back to the Armenia-Azerbaijan conflict, mm -hmm. and it was a sidebar conversation I was having uh, before I came up here, was the use of drone, drone technology, how that essentially fundamentally changes how we've been conducting some operations. Uh, you know, if you look at the success in Armenia, you look at the success in Ukraine, where you either have had drones enabling strikes and conducting strikes themselves against fixed positions, or enabling the C4ISR for then small dispersed units using an advanced weapon system to be able to achieve good effect against a conventional army, and how to be able to adjust to that. So, so that is always a consideration as we do that. As we look at the different threats out there and how this evolves, it's again, it's being able to anticipate how the technology how people choose to employ the technology uh, will affect operations and asymmetries are building. So, you know, if you, if you go back throughout timeline, it's always, you always want an asymmetric response to what your enemy is doing. You don't want to fight a tank with a tank. You want to kill a tank with an attack helicopter. 
because it has the advantage over the tank. If you do like to like, um, you end up with attrition. The asymmetries are now much greater and the possibilities of asymmetry are now much greater. And it's being able to respond to all of that as we look at the broader future as we come forward. And it, it gets down to decision type cycles and timelines. You know, I, I always pull out a quote from Neville Chamberlain, you know, fortune generally feels he who has the best information. You know, it's, it's the same thing in warfare. If you, if you can understand your operating theater uh, and be able to be inside of your enemy's decision cycle, you have a better chance uh, at success and being able to employ asymmetries using your points of strength and his points of weakness. So another question I'd bring forward, and again, welcome any from the crowd, but uh, I've got a ton of them, so it's all good. The, uh, the, the recent sending of, uh, you, you mentioned drones, cameras by Canada through L3 to uh, Ukraine in response to urgent requests. You know, that's, an, that's a connection of a few points. One, the understanding of flexibilities that the government has in relation to procurement. Two, the industry's readiness to have call-ups. And three, our general levels of stock that exist. We've seen in Ukraine and in that particular conflict a, a, a tremendous burn rate on things like Stinger missiles or anti-tank missiles uh, and, and what what stockpiles may have been seen previously to be reasonable may not actually uh, meet what a future need in a major conflict could be. And there's just no way to produce these at, at speed. Can you provide some sort of a context or comment around your views about how a review of a defense policy would need to have an engagement element with industry that follows and what the government would need to understand about the premium that it would need to pay to meet or maintain those kind of stock levels or have that kind of responsiveness from industry. It's a bit of an unfair question, but... Uh, no, I actually, so there's, there's a couple points to that. Yep. So, so I'll go back to Ukraine first. And one of the things, and I, and I talked about logistics earlier uh, and how we have to look at also the enterprise aspects of this as we go forward. Uh, if you look at one of the successes of Ukraine's taught us a couple lessons about logistics, to your point. First of all, uh, if you plan it poorly, it's not going to go well for you. Uh, and, and you have to do a better job of that. But if you look at the logistics that was rapidly put in place to be able to move equipment from the West through a NATO ally into the Ukraine to be able to support operations, that has been very much enabled uh, by the modern technologies and people understanding where their stocks are and how to move it and where to go forward. To your broader point, uh, of talking about how much is enough, right? And that's really very much where we need to look at, and this is where we learn. You know, as you look at how operations are done, as you look at, you know, what is the right level of operational stocks you need for how long to be able to do it? And that essentially is a risk discussion. You know, that becomes how much risk, how much are you going to build? How much are you going to keep uh, to do how long an operation uh, in what theater at what rate, right? And that becomes a risk discussion. And it's a risk discussion with industry, it's a risk discussion with government, uh, how to be able to support it. You know, I was talking to, again, another gentleman, and we were talking about the challenges of the supply chains now based on COVID and critical elements and critical parts. And, you know, in this room, it knows that challenge far better than I do. Uh, our part of this is now trying to relook at our calculations that we've done for what is enough, um, you know, provide 
valued recommendations to government on what that is and then work with industry to figure out what's the best way to achieve that. Could I, uh, Kelly? I'd like to focus the question in on uh, the defense procurement strategy and the identification of key industrial capabilities uh, that the government has spent an awful lot of time situating um, and, and how they want to prioritize uh, procurement. And so as we look at continental defense and NORAD modernization, what are the, what's the focus or your understanding as to where Canada needs to focus from an industrial perspective um, in order to support uh, moving forward. And then the other aspect of that is, is what changes to the procurement strategy are going to have to be envisioned or considered in order to move forward in a, in a timely manner? So, so Darren had talked about it a little bit uh, in his earlier comments is we need to get far more agile than we are. Uh, and, and again, it's, it's back to Moore's law, uh, the rate of change of technology, you know, things are now software-driven, digitally enabled, uh, and, and being able to do that. So using the old industrial age processes of, you know, we, we, we try to buy a piece of kit does not work on how you want to deal with software and software updates uh, of digitally enabled equipment. So, so we have to change that, and we're working very hard with our colleagues, uh, both within the department and ADM-MAT and ADM-IM, and with our colleagues across government to try and figure out a better way of doing that. Uh, as we go forward, you know, and, and again, we mentioned, you know, as we look at, and you need a balance, right? There will always be aspects you need of heavy metal, you know, and what do I mean by that? I mean planes, I mean tanks, how to be able to do that. Um, but it's critical that you be able to figure out how to keep the refresh cycle within those platforms quicker uh, and, and being able to do that. And that's where we're looking at trying to explore additional flexibilities, uh, you know, to really look at, you know, what can we buy as a service how can we be more agile in being able to do those updates within those major platforms and all of that to be able to leverage where we go forward? And we're, we're trying to focus on having a greater um, interaction with academia uh, and R&D within Canada. Again, back to ADSA, back to the Minds program that we talked about. You know, it, it's really trying to unlock the intellectual capacity here that we have in Canada to be able to support these types of activities. You know, we do remarkable work in AI. Uh, in Montreal and Calgary. Uh, we need to work together and figure out a better way to partner with those groups. If I picked up on a theme from Kelly's question to, to, to bring it back to you, is in the 2017 timeframe, the uh, ICED embraced the idea of having defense capability investments areas that were tied to defense industries in Canada with broader procurement policy objectives in mind. So the, the connected question in terms of the defense policy renewal would be, is there an intent to essentially maintain that scheme or to recognize that to, to procure at speed, a broader approach is gonna be needed or there's gonna need to be uh, an addition to that framework to include other things that weren't originally envisioned in there because of the different needs of the defense policy for continental defense. I'm thinking, you know, infrastructure wasn't significantly represented as an example in the 17 DCIAs and, 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 and. So are there, do, do you know of any intent to revisit that, to improve that, to augment that, or refocus it? 
so again, you know, the, one of the key things we're looking at doing is, is try to becoming more agile and adjust to the current situation at the time. Uh, infrastructure is critically important. You know, we know we have a deficit and how we want to be able to do that. Um, you know, General Air has spoken to how we really need to partner better with industry to be able to meet the demand of the time. Um, and then this is how we are looking at where are those key areas. We're looking at how we can best partner uh, both within industry, across government, uh, to be able to achieve that. Okay. Sir, did you have a question? No. Uh, so we're, we're one more, yeah. So you spoke a bit about you know all this uh, technology that's going to go into what uh, what you're working on. Where where are you finding it? Can you speak a bit about that? In terms of uh, well, the technology towards uh, digitization, uh, hypersonics. You, you mentioned allies, but uh, in terms of where is the technology now? So, so I'll give you, a, again, I'll go back to ADSA, which is a great example of Canadian R&D and technology that we've been looking. So the amount of work that they have been doing on over the horizon radar, the amount of R&D that's gone into being able to map uh, how you deal with uh, the ionosphere, the ionosphere over the Arctic, being able to leverage all of those technologies back to the mines program, uh, being able to partner and uh, look at, you know, minds and wits to look at small Canadian companies that give them the opportunity uh, to bring forward their solutions to be able to talk to you know, how we're trying to meet these challenges. So the Minds program is one. ADSA is another good example of how we're trying to leverage technology. And of course, we're, you know, we're working with our large partners. We're working with our allies. You know, if I go back, you know, very quickly, because I know Dave's giving me the eye now that I've got to finish. Uh, you know, if you look at the work that's going on with JADC2 in terms of the Americans, how they're trying to advance technologies and how we share that across the five eyes is also a critical aspect. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Defense Deconstructed, part of the CGAI Podcast Network. If you like the show, please remember to rate us and leave a comment on your podcast app. And if you like our stuff, please feel free to check out our donation page at cgaiica support. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. The podcast is brought to you by our team in Ottawa. And thanks go to our producer, Charlotte Duval-Antoine, and Drew Phillips for providing our music. I'm Dave Perry, and thanks for listening to this episode of Defense Deconstructed. <laughs>